Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You're listening to the Sherlock's Book Club podcast with me, Heather Seale, and Georgina Blasky. Each episode, we dissect a hot book alongside a special guest with the help of our Sherlock's community. Hello and welcome to the first ever Sherlock's Book Club podcast with me, Heather Steele, and Sherlock's Georgina Blasky. Today we're joined by very special guest, Lauren Bravo. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you on. I'm sure many of our readers and viewers will already know who you are, but just in case there's one or two who don't, Lauren is an author and journalist. She's written two non-fiction books and her latest book which is a novel it's called pre-loved and it came out in april and i've been reading it this week and it is really really good we were chatting over email earlier this week and i read the beginning of the book and was like i'm the main character like there's lots of similarities i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but i very much love gwen (laughs) um but yeah we'll be chatting about that at the end of the podcast but uh for now lessons in chemistry when we decided me and georgina to start the book club we were like what book can we do we wanted to do one that's sort of lots of people have already read and loved one that's still a bit current but you know a nice summer read and I kind of it was a bit of a no-brainer really wasn't it yeah mm. I mean I think it was the book that when it came out everybody was talking about it everyone was excited I think it was a publishing phenomenon it, it really, really was. was especially debut novel at how old is she she's 66 yeah. Yeah. yeah well this is what I love so much about it because I read it I didn't know anything about Bonnie Garmus and I'm ashamed to say I read it with that slight pang of resentment in the back of my mind yep. as an author <laughs> and I was thinking I bet she's about 27 yeah. And I finished the book and I loved it so much. And then I thought, well, I'm just going to Google her. And when I found out she was 65, I was so delighted. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show that you can do anything, anytime in your life, make exactly. some changes and um, sit down and write a book. Mm. I'm sure as well, like, we'll probably get into this later, but her own sort of life experience is obviously imbued in the book as well. So I suppose leaving it a bit later to write that first all-important novel can only be a good thing I, I think suppose. so yeah. yeah I think it feels like not a life's work because I hope yeah, she goes on to write many many <laughs> more things but it feels like something that has been brewing in a fantastic mind for quite a few years yes. I think and yeah all of that work really shows oh it really does so just to explain to everybody so in this podcast the three of us we're going to be diving deep into the novel and we'll also be discussing some of the comments that people have been leaving on our Shillet's community which is our sort of book club Hub, Georgina, you've got some nice quotes and comments from some of our lovely members who've been reading along with us. So we'll be reading some of those out. And I guess now's a good chance to sort of say spoilers alert, I suppose. We don't have to. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you've already read the book. So, uh, yeah, we're going to discuss everything, including the ending and the twists along the way. So, yeah, um, if you haven't read it yet, go and read it and come back. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing we've already sort of started talking about it. But, yeah, what were your sort of lasting impressions when you sort of close the book for the first time oh well for me it was just um that uh feeling of seeing a woman decide to um go against the grain and stand up for herself and make some changes and she didn't care who liked her or not along the way and um just how far women have come in the workplace in motherhood in society but also a lot of themes that still feel are bubbling away and things haven't changed so I felt this kind of real push and pull with the book and how it made me feel in that way um which was annoying because you would want to read a book like that and go oh my god it was set you know 50 years ago yeah Yeah. 50 years ago haven't we come so far and actually there were just a few themes that felt that we hadn't absolutely yeah I think I felt galvanized I think when I finished it um also I think it was such a clever read that was one of my kind of overwhelming feelings as I was going through was there are so many strands so many themes in this book so many things I didn't know anything about chemistry being one of them rowing being another yeah Yeah. I loved I loved that element (laughs) and you know the fact that 
Bonnie Garmus must have done so much research. Yeah. The fact that she had plotted this so minutely, tied together so many different strands, so many different different elements. And it did what I think a really good book does, which is it ended in a satisfying way. Yes. You know, I mean, I love a happy ending, but I think it's more important to have a satisfying ending. Yeah. It really felt like you had you had follow through you had kind of answers to a lot of things and you felt that this character that you were so invested in by the end Mm. you felt like she was getting what she kind of deserved I guess and yeah yeah even all these the the cast of characters got fantastic endings and I love that same I think one of my sort of closing thoughts was I love the cast of characters Mm. all the different people that were sort of weaved in and um I think some of them actually I mean I love Elizabeth I thought she was excellent but I think some of the more minor characters were actually my favorite so it was nice yeah. to sort of see them all enjoying what a nice dinner around the table yeah the end. And family. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and that that um as you would just say that kind of the cast of characters but how rich they were because yeah. so often minor characters are very two-dimensional mm. they don't really get the airtime and it was so clever how with not spending huge amounts of words and pages on people. She just managed to bring the essence of mm. a character mm. to the page so brilliantly, so quickly and so vividly. Yes. Um, which is, as you say, just incredibly clever yeah. to write that way. There is also um, like almost a kind of televisual sense to it in the way that when these characters return like when miss frask yes returns you want to cheer you know yeah. like a sort of sitcom audience you want to like clap yes. you know oh it's miss frask is back brilliant yeah. um that's, and I so think that's true. just such a talent yeah. yeah yeah amazing so let's go in deep on elizabeth then because obviously mm. for so many people having read it she is somewhat a hero and you know not the kind of character you always read about like the way she was just very determined and very did things her way it was mm. obviously a refreshing thing but uh, yeah what did you think yeah I love the fact that she's not hashtag relatable in yeah. the way that a lot of protagonists mm. are which doesn't mean she's unrelatable but it's a very different approach I think mm. um I think she's fascinating I like the fact that um, her brain does function differently, I think, to a lot of people, and that's something I think we are seeing in fiction at the moment, I've noticed it in other books as well, is exploring characters that are potentially neurodivergent, but without mm. saying that they are. Yes. Um, and obviously, back in the 1950s, you know, it'd be very unlikely that yeah. Elizabeth would ever have a diagnosis like that anyway. Mm-hmm. And I've had people say it actually about Gwen, my protagonist in Pre-Love. Mm. Somebody left me a lovely comment the other day that said she read to, to her very much like an undiagnosed mm. neurodiverse woman in her 30s, which isn't something I set out to do explicitly, but the possibility I think was maybe always there. And I think Elizabeth is definitely a character like that, where you think, okay, what we're getting from this novel, and particularly a lot of a lot of, a lot of the comedy, but also a lot of the meaningful points it's making, are in seeing the way that the world is not set up for women mm-hmm. like her. And actually what she does so brilliantly is really highlight... Um, how illogical so much of the world is and how illogical Mm. misogyny is because the way that her mind works is incredibly focused on logic and rationality yeah and we know that's a little bit about her past as well the family she's come from the fact she's a scientist you know she Mm. sort of identifies as a scientist as though it is something she is born she's been born and um cannot escape from and I love that and I think yeah a lot of the time you're kind of thinking yeah actually so much of this it just makes no sense whatsoever. And so much of her, her feminism is not kind of an identity thing. It's more her saying, but this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. so true. That is so true. I, just, I love that as a character. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nicely said. Mm. <laughs> Basically articulating my own thoughts much yeah. better than I could. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Tell me you're an author. Yeah. Uh, Georgina, how about you? I just really admired her... Um, need not to be liked Mm -hmm. Mm. I thought it's so brave and maybe it wasn't a conscious thing maybe it's as you say it's that idea that um with that element of neurodiversity which clearly there is something um unsaid she doesn't have that gauge of of needing to be liked it's not something that matters to her Mm. um but she does want to obviously be respected and acknowledged for her work um but I and she's surviving yeah that's the other thing that I think is extraordinary is her ability to continue to to keep digging deep and to keep bouncing back every single time and just to that sort of survivor's instinct where you first meet her and they mention the pencil but then you find out later 
quite soon, but a bit later, why? Mm. Why she always has this pencil. Yeah. And all these other things, obviously, I loved the way that the book goes forwards yeah. and backwards chronologically and reveals slowly more and more yeah. about the characters. You, At first, their quirks you become revealed to you in a way that I feel um, you're invested in them. So you then really care about what had happened mm. with her father yeah. and her, her brother and all those things rather you know it's just such a clever way of revealing a character um and i just had huge admiration for her um very different from any women i know you know yeah. she's just stands out amazing i like that pencil point actually because yeah it's one of the first things you see about her when she's mm. sort of the first chapter she's there she's got her tv show so you already know from the off that this is what she's doing right now she's not happy doing it and you'll be like oh why not that would be everyone's dream surely at that time to be like the host of a tv show but it's interesting how they then sort of switch it back from there yeah. the cooking show i i'd watch a cooking show like that it sounded amazing it makes me hungry yeah well. exactly yeah. Actually, obviously <laughs> the whole book really did you know when she was preparing mad's lunches and lunch boxes i was like oh. i'd love a slab of lasagna yeah, for lunch lasagna <laughs> and buttery zucchini yeah yeah, yeah. phrase is stuck in my head oh. mm, buttery zucchini i yeah. just called it with butter on it but it sounds like yeah, good it yeah, does it yeah. yeah no i love well i guess it all sort of ties in Obviously, she is a scientist, but ultimately, it's the 60s and she has got to be the homemaker. She's still got to be the mum. Yeah. She's got to be in charge of all the childcare. And yeah, she does it in her own way. But yeah, those currents are still there. She's still having mm. to do it all, which I think is still seen as quite a modern issue, perhaps. Yeah, yeah I think it's interesting the way that cooking is such a, you know, such a domestic mm-hmm. kind of baseline, isn't it, for women? And actually what we're seeing is Elizabeth enacting her own sort of feminism within those confines rather than, well, obviously she does step outside of them as well by being a professional research scientist. But the fact that she's taking the conventions of the time and pushing them from within rather than just refusing to engage with it. Yes. Because Mm. I think in the hands of a less skilled writer, a character like Elizabeth might refuse to ever cook. Yeah. Which would be fine. But I think it's it's more interesting almost to see her saying, well, cooking is just science. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it out of any innate maternal need yeah. to nurture. I'm doing it because it's satisfying to me to put these elements together and create something that makes sense every time. Yeah. I think one other interesting point about Elizabeth is how other characters recognise and comment on her beauty mm, yeah. and her incredible look and how she has the hair pulled back. The, yes. And sometimes it's kind of like angular, striking, big yeah. lips and this obviously of the time that sort of the red lipstick, yeah. probably a bit of makeup I'm sure and things like that and it's um, she sort of resists being styled to enhance her yeah. beauty, her feminism, her and that mm. sort of status that she has because she doesn't value it and she doesn't see it as important. Yeah. And I think that there's so much projected onto her because of her looks, which she is not interested in or invested in as part of her value mm. system. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And I sometimes wondered to myself, has she got any idea how beautiful she apparently is yeah. according to everybody else? Because you never get a sense that she does. That's true, yeah. You never see her sort of putting something on or getting ready and sort of commenting on her looks either way, like negatively or positively. Yeah, it's true, actually. And I don't remember whether Garmus really goes much into what she wears, apart from the white lab coat. Yeah, and obviously there was the back and forth, wasn't there, early doors with her TV show where they kept trying to make her, you know. She comes in and and the first, I think there's there's a description of a meeting early on in the TV show times where she's daring to wear trousers. Yes. yes. And this is commented on, you know. Yes. And then, but she always still has her apron as well. Yeah. But um, I think it's that idea of kind of function first. Yeah. yeah. And the way she strips back her, her kitchen at home to I become loved that bit. the lab. And how mm. she, well, we'll get on to 6.30 later, but, you know, even 6.30 is there as her kind of right hand DIY taskmaster. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just... <laughs> such an incredible it's that energy yeah um and that drive that she has but yeah I just um I would love to know well I mean obviously we know it's gonna be a tv adaptation I'm intrigued to see how they portray her look 
Yes, because Brie Larson is obviously very beautiful, yeah. as Elizabeth yes. is. So, yeah. yeah. Well, this is the thing I find with TV adaptations. I always get really annoyed because Hollywood actors generally are too attractive. Oh, yeah, yes, of course. To yeah. play normal people. <laughs> and they can never resist casting somebody who is too hot. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for the, the relatable every woman character that we've fallen in love with. But I think in the case of Brie Larson and Elizabeth Zott, she gets a pass. Because yeah. she's meant to be gorgeous. And yeah. she is yeah. gorgeous. And that's fine. That's right. Yeah, we can accept that. There's yeah. no yeah, yeah, so casting issues there. <laughs> um, so, yeah Calvin then so mm. I think he might have been my favorite character I That's really I really liked he's... him even though he's a bit of an ass and also not in it for that long <laughs> and like... not in... did you guys get a sense that you know from the off obviously she, it's made very clear early on that she's very much a single parent and that bloody Calvin you know left me on my own and there's not obviously the sense that he has spoiler alert died mm. but I did I had a feeling I suppose especially as it went on that they're obviously so in love it wasn't that he left her you know yeah by choice let's say I think they all she almost had to kill him didn't she because you mm. it would have been nauseating to read a book about a couple that happy yeah that's true <laughs> that compatible yeah. well maybe it wouldn't have done yeah. because she's such a great writer no. she probably could have could have done it but um, and i did like the scenes where they're in the cafeteria yes. showing their lunches and ev- but you hear everybody you hates. see it from everybody yeah. else like what are they doing that oh look oh, but disgusting why, but who proposes <laughs> yeah. or attempts to propose oh. in the work cafeteria i mean oh, I know. yeah just hilarious i kind of love that about calvin i mean firstly i think is there anything as attractive in literature as a male protagonist who they tell you is not that good looking yeah of yeah. course and then you're and immediately quite bad like, mm, okay. yeah, you're like clearly, yeah. I'm if I, I find him attractive, I'm special. I was gonna, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's more of a challenge, true. and I love that. That's um, true. <laughs> but I also I really liked the fact that he wasn't a perfect feminist. Yeah, from the off, you know, like their first interaction is him assuming she's a secretary yes, because she's come yeah. for his science beakers yeah. and he won't give them to her. And you know, I like the fact that again his. His love and respect for her was based on on her mind, mm-hmm. but in much more of a functional way. And you could tell that he was still having to kind of unlearn a lot of his own conditioning from the time he was born in, yeah. and frankly, the time we still live in now. And mm. I thought that was really interesting. You know, she she didn't make him this perfect sainted figure no. who tragically died. It was like he was complex and he was flawed. Yeah, but they loved each other exactly. And you see that from the people who've worked for him. Obviously, there's some envy there as well. But even on the rowing team, they all just respect him for his sort of commitment rather than because he's you know this stand up you know yeah the best guy, guy ever <laughs> yeah great down the pub or anything like that he was just dedicated yeah i guess it's like the subtitle of this book could almost be difficult people deserve love too exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. i think that's really lovely and refreshing i think so what did you think georgina i am a total sucker for a, a love story and i think the kind of more quirky mismatch the characters the better because you know it's easy for attractive people easygoing people who've had a easy run at life to find a an easy fit and yeah. just go for it whereas they both had just such tragic childhoods and they and it was obviously when they first fell in love they didn't know each other's history and she doesn't discover his full history until he's passed no but i think that they obviously just had this sixth sense and this connection mm. on this kind of molecular level I and a great know. sex life as she kept pointing out great as well yes. and yeah. i love that again it's like they could have both been two awkward people yeah and sex wasn't really a big part of their relationship because they were so like academic exactly yeah. Yeah. so cerebral but no yeah no. they absolutely loved each yeah. other's bodies yeah. Like, yeah. And I think yeah that was great as well yeah. yeah yeah i just thought there was just so much compassion and warmth and it was almost like everything that they'd been lacking through their mm. whole life they finally found with each other um and I just find, I just love, I feel like that's a nice big hug in a book. And I, that's what I like when I'm mm. reading books. I need those moments yeah. between tragedy and yeah, adversity and everything yeah. like that. I just find that, it, I just felt it was really warm and it felt really equal. And I think that yeah. was really important for her that, you know, equality in the, in the relationship. True, yes. but then I feel, feel like a really bad feminist saying this, but like I'm not married myself and I'm sort of not sure I want to be either. But I was really like, oh, please just get married to Calvin. Like, yeah. Poor bugger. Like, look <laughs> what he's doing. Just make him happy. He's had a crap childhood. He's really committed. He's changing. He's doing this. I'm yeah. like, just say yes. You well, look so good in the veil. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'll go on, just do it for him. Just do something I nice kind of, for him. I wanted her actually to kind of get married for her. 
yeah. because of the structure of society, mm. how they're living, yeah. the even things to do with like the mortgage on the house and all Ooh, those kind of boring paperwork. Which then was shit bit. afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I kind of mm. thought sometimes you fight the system. Yeah, maybe that's one for the workplace, but ultimately, in your to be safe and secure in your life, mm. aren't you better off just saying yes and getting married? Um, and that's where and you know at the funeral it was kind of so awful this discussion of like well you're not the girlfriend did you know him yeah like with the journalist that whole conversation which oh it was so horrible because oh that is what it would have been like and can be for some people even today if they're not married the system is still very much like well unless there was a will you're not getting anything or you know I kind of understood and respected, I think, her um, her rationale for not getting married, which was that then her work would disappear under I understood name. that. I get it. I thought yeah. that was an interesting point to mm-hmm. make. And obviously that's something we haven't progressed particularly far yeah. on today. You know, the vast majority of women do still change their yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very unusual for a man to change his name yep. instead. And uh, yeah, so I think, although it was, I, you know, I'm the same, I I found it frustrating, but I think you're almost frustrated on her behalf. Yes. That that is the world she's living in. And she probably is right. That probably would have happened if she yeah. had got married. Um, but then the other interesting thing, of course, is that she didn't want children. Yeah, uh, And course. yet we, you know, she is allowed to evolve and change her mind. Yeah. And be flexible in her principles. Yeah. And the fact yeah. that she does then have Madeline and obviously is an incredibly loving, yeah. nurturing mother. Um but it is still tricky, yeah. you know, and I think you can almost imagine a different route that her life potentially would have yeah. taken 20 years later yeah. had she not had that baby. And also, know. obviously, she didn't know he was going to die. So, no. you know, <laughs> had he had, like, a long illness, you might go, well, okay, let's do the sort of the deathbed ceremony. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it was such a shocking death to me. Which, you in, oh. enjoy isn't the right word, but I remember you saying that, you, yeah, you thought it was very powerful the way the death I, was I, announced. Yeah, I think it was one of the most sort of stopped me in my tracks. I think I was probably reading it in bed and sort of sat up that moment in the chapter that blew me away was when the way she wrote about Calvin dying, um, where he's getting ready, he's putting on his old track pants, he's bending down, putting on his laces, blah, 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 blah. Come on, boy, Calvin said, what's wrong? Then he remembered. He turned back, grabbed the leash, bent down and clipped it onto 630's collar. Securely connected to the dog for the very first time, Calvin turned and locked the door behind him. He was dead 37 minutes later. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's only page 91. Yeah. You know, it's a long book. Yeah. And that, that just, I, it was such a punchy way yeah. to deliver the news. Yeah. So unexpected. Looking back, of course, she's brilliantly built up to yeah. this idea of the, the new rules around dogs on yeah, leashes, yeah, buying yeah. a leash, how the dog hadn't been on leash. Him running and getting the police a bit like, what? who's that weirdo? Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, again, you don't think about the fact that jogging wasn't, jogging a, wasn't, thing. wasn't <laughs> a thing. So no wonder yes. they were like, who's this guy who's just running around in like the early morning and what's he up to? I know, I think that, that attention to historical yeah, detail yeah. like that is fascinating. So when it then carries on for the next chapter, it then goes into what happened yeah. to lead yeah. up to his death. And the chapter's called Budget Cuts. So it's about the police cars not being serviced enough and the bang that it gives off, which then makes the dog um, bolt. And that's what causes the accident. Mm. And um, it was just such a powerful delivery of information. Like massive plot twisting information. And I just thought it was so brilliantly written. And yeah, the way she then goes back over it. And you know the ending. Yeah, so you're reading I, it with this sense mm. of urgency, thinking, but when does it happen? How does yeah. it happen? Yeah, What's yeah, going to happen? Yeah. And to the point, I had to read that chapter twice because I then felt I was skipping to get to, yeah. to, get to, to the, yeah. to the yeah. why. Yeah. And actually, I needed the detail. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, um, um, it's so clever. It is, isn't it? It's a very, it's a very interesting way, the way that um, she delivers suspense is actually by spoiling everything. Yeah, yeah. She tells us so much of what's yeah. going to happen, but then instead you're left in that state of feverishly wanting to know how it's going to yeah. happen and why it's going to happen. And, you know, like you say, the bureaucracy of his death, the fact yeah. that police budget cuts ultimately set off this incredible chain reaction that, yeah, that killed the love of Elizabeth's life. Yeah. I, you know, there's something very kind of cold and scientific almost mm-hmm. about that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So I was that next chapter where they describe the she describes the events in meticulous detail i'm i was just crying the whole time i read it because i knew he had died and yeah. i was so sad for elizabeth that he had died that i then read that bit in tears even though i hadn't got to the death yet yeah. <laughs> and that 
that's a really odd thing to happen as a reader. Yeah, or it's nice to be able to sort of see people's final sort of interactions with one another. Knowing it's the final Yeah, but then it's also like, no, do yeah. this, do that. Yeah. But yeah. Don't go, don't. Yeah, exactly. The dog down. doesn't need a run, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> it's like you were saying before about how you know, Miss Frass comes back and you're clapping. It's like, yeah. yes. again, you're, you're reading, go, no, don't go, because yeah, we know you're going to die. Oh, yes. oh, so it's, it's, it's so, yeah, so clever. So, it's worse than and just like that big died, isn't it? Oh yes, oh, God. <laughs> there are parallels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Oh God, we'll talk about the TV adaptation later because I really want to mm. dive into how we think all that's going to work. But um, yes, yeah, we talk a little bit about Calvin and Elizabeth's sort of backstories because they're sort of dripped in mm. gradually. And actually, there was one bit where I was sort of reading and I was a bit like, oh God, is this going to get a little bit, a little life? Like some of Calvin's really horrible sort of backstory. I started getting slightly uh, worried we were going to get into very, very dark territory. Thankfully, well, not thankfully, but you know, in comparison to a little life, it's <laughs> suggested rather than, you know, explicitly written about. But yeah, I thought it's fascinating how they both did have these such traumatic childhoods that they didn't even tell each other. Mm. I found that fascinating. That yeah. even... I think that like plight to not be defined yeah. by your past trauma, I think is yeah. really interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. For characters. But also you're kind of frustrated by it because yes. you're like, oh, come on, you've only got such a short time together. Why haven't you shared all of this with each other? Yeah. And, but then we wouldn't have so, you know, half the yeah. plot. <laughs> well, true, but we can still be like, go on, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've got a reader who um, put a comment on our community page talking about the characters and, and the plot. Um, so this is from Kirsty, who said, I think that what impressed me most about Lessons in Chemistry is how real and flawed and silly and clever the characters are all at the same time, especially Elizabeth and Calvin. This helped me through some plot arcs that in another writer's hand would have would be melodramatic. I burned with indignation like an overdone chicken pot pie and I cried <laughs> like I'd been chopping onions for hours. Love that. Oh, <laughs> but I think that is so important, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. it is about how those characters, um, as we were saying before, talking about how she had experienced her history in the workplace as well as her childhood history and Calvin holding the grudge, mm. known for holding grudges because yes. of his, his past. Yeah. And that did enable there to be certain plot twists yes. that otherwise wouldn't have felt justified. Yeah. So I think that is bang on, Kirsty. Yeah. I was going to say some of the those kind of more minor characters like um, Walter Pine. Yes. I'm a big yeah. fan of. I liked Walter. I really liked Walter because he was so nuanced. And for a man of the time, he mm. could have just been another misogynist character. He could have been yeah. another kind of villain like Donati yeah, or something. Yeah. But actually the fact that, you know, he is not very good at his job. Mm. He's a bit <laughs> mediocre and he kind of knows it. Yeah. But because it's the 50s, he's, you know. He's fine. Well, he's yeah. And he's way in the, what is the kind of the snooze three hours of oh, afternoon yes. TV, yes. which yeah. I thought was really yes. nicely described. Like the rhythm of the day. Yeah. And how it's the time, especially exactly. for mothers where they're just yeah. like, well, we'll I just, just need to be paying attention to the TV and get some energy brewing for later. And the fact that he's like, he is a really good dad yeah. to, to someone who is not his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from, that was really interesting. He put gin in a lunchbox at one stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Forgive him for that. that. It wasn't his fault. And, I, and you know, he really does respect Elizabeth. Yeah. And I like the fact that he gets his happy ending yes. with Harriet. Yeah. Who I also who really love. A wonderful side yeah. character. Yeah. And the fact that there's that gorgeous line Right in the right in the ending, where Elizabeth says, "You know, come for supper at six to Avery," and she says, "You know, and everyone will be there, the whole family." Yeah, yeah, and that oh, that really yeah. got me yeah. welling up again. Um, <laughs> and it is so much more satisfying because these characters are, as the reader says, like like flawed mm -hmm. and yeah, they're all on their own kind of meandering journeys. They're not necessarily making the right decisions all of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they kind of earned the right to their happy endings, I think, by the end of the book. Yeah, and I also think it was really important that she wrote likeable male characters as yeah. well. You know, mm, with it yeah. being such mm. a feminist book, yeah. it would have been really easy just to have all those evil men yeah, in true. positions of power. True. But, you know, Dr. Mason. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lovely guy. I liked yeah. him as well, yeah. over, a pop, you know, turning up at times yeah. that just... Just sort of when she needed him. Yeah. He sort of seemed to be there suggesting yeah. to come rowing or, yeah. you know, things like that. I thought yeah. I thought that he was, um, yeah, him, Walter, and then Reverend Wakeley. Oh, yes, Wakely. he was a great yeah. character. Well, he just, I thought the way that he 
the relationship between him and Mad and that how that lovely. worked mm. brought so much to her character um, as well as his and obviously tied up nicely with the history of his pen pal relationship yeah. with Calvin. Yes. Yeah, it was just brilliantly orchestrated. Yes. That. It's almost kind of archangel figure almost. Yeah. You know, in this kind of slightly supernatural, like he just turns up at the right moment yeah. and has the answers and kind of brings everything together. And I think that's interesting in a book that has a lot of tension between religion oh, yeah. and yeah. science. And it is kind of very anti-religious, mm-hmm, isn't mm-hmm. it, really, most of it. But the yeah. fact that he is this representative of the church and yeah, he doesn't believe in he God. He doesn't yes. believe in God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. he then yeah. explores so deeply with how old is she at that five, point? I five i think isn't she yeah and, and i love that you're child prodigy yeah, yeah. i mean the conversation <laughs> between religion and faith yeah and mm. you can have one well you've got to have faith to have religion but you yeah can have one without one without yeah, the yeah. other yeah. and yeah. i thought that is also what so much of the book is about is about faith and mm-hmm. it's about faith in yourself yeah and taking personal responsibility and making the changes in your life or in society mm-hmm. and having the faith that you can make change happen and it will be positive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Should we speak about MAD a little bit? Because we haven't really... <laughs> we'll save 6.30 for a few more minutes, but MAD felt... I know, I really liked her as a character, but there were definitely a few things where I was like, I really don't think she'd have been reading that at the age. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Now that seems slightly... believe a little <laughs> bit, don't you? Yeah. And I think it's the same with the dog, actually, in that a less skilled writer, maybe those characters would have been quite annoying. Yeah, 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 it's true, it's true. But you, in her hands, you just accept it. Yeah. You're just willing to suspend mm-hmm. belief a little bit. And there is a certain kind of book that I really, really love, which is books that ostensibly are set in the real world, yeah. in our world. But they just kind of stroke a toe along the edge of the ever so slightly magical. Yes. You know, and there is that magical realism element with 6.30 and with Mad being this incredible child genius who can read at three. And, uh, you know, the kind of, therefore she can be the conduit to uncovering her father's history and doing all of that. Um, And you just go with it, I think. Because it feels earned, you know, and you're so invested in all these characters. And you kind of just go, yeah, maybe this is a maybe this is a world that exists slightly to the left of the real world. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain element of wish fulfillment, I think, in the fact as well that, you know, Elizabeth is this incredibly right on feminist without even really knowing it. Yeah, yeah. And that she is this incredibly talented scientist who manages to kind of claw her way through this male dominated world. <sighs> There are moments, I think, where I did stop and think, okay, that maybe wouldn't happen or maybe she wouldn't phrase it so perfectly. Yeah. But I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Because it's really satisfying to read about a world. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Which can happen yeah that's so true yeah. i read a few comments on various other sort of like goodreads and things like that and there were a couple of scientists who female scientists who <laughs> were like well that wouldn't have happened and i didn't enjoy it because uh, there's no way she'd have got to do that if she hadn't have done her undergrad and da-da-da-da. you know God. we're all very good at if we're an expert in something sort of picking holes in yes. plot lines but i think yeah like i agree with you i think sometimes you have just got to it's just a great story it's and it is story. plausible and yeah sometimes you have just got to yeah, you're like, oh, that might not have happened, but it's great. It well, works. it's the same it when you watch a TV show, isn't it? I mean, there are times where you're kind of thinking, oh, well, they, you know, um, like 
that couldn't happen that couldn't happen in that time frame mm, that yeah, geographically yeah. they couldn't have got from there to there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, my husband's really good at pointing things like that out when we watch TV. London. Yeah, yeah yeah that's not the bus that goes to Camden <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, it's like... I'm like, but surely the whole point you know I'm not watching the news I don't want to yeah. read a, a factual account of yeah, what it was of like to be you know yeah. the whole point of fiction the whole point of storytelling yeah. is to take you on a journey to another yeah, place yeah. with a little bit of magic yeah and just to get in developed in the characters and kind of go with it yeah yeah because yeah. that is the that's the world that that bonnie gamas has created mm. and if you're in that world who's who's right or wrong to say that that couldn't happen in that world yeah. you know i would argue you couldn't impale someone with a sharp pencil no matter how sharp it was i was thinking oh i don't know well. i yeah. think you could do a bit of damage oh, I well may- yeah maybe but you would, i felt you- <laughs> back in those days the pencils probably did have actual lead, lead in yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah now they just sort of crumble yeah. <laughs> yeah um but what i actually loved about mad who we were talking about a minute ago was it could have been really easy for her to be this kind of child prodigy who, a bit like her parents, didn't necessarily have the kind of emotional mm-hmm. intelligence that she also has. And I yeah. think that's why I loved her so much and that's what made me connect with her and feel um, that I was kind of her real her cheerleader yeah. in this, where I know a lot of people really didn't like her and thought she was kind of precocious and, oh, and all of that. Poor man. Because she <laughs> does have some real... Um, observance yes. on things for example yeah. you know she does sort of pretend to fit in at kindergarten because yeah. she can see that her mother doesn't fit in yeah. and she doesn't want to be like her mother yeah and those kind of little um observances that yeah, she yeah. makes along the way i thought were just really endearing and you kind of thought she, she's gonna go far whatever happens mm-hmm. because she's Absolutely. got that extra bit that neither of her parents seem to yeah, have yeah and where that came from, I don't know. But yeah. she's not oblivious to other people's opinions. No. She's actually really tuned in. She is, and she's mm. one of the first to sort of actually throw a spotlight on Elizabeth being depressed at one part of the yeah. book. Yeah. It comes from her sort of, yeah, you say, observing and sort of relaying to as, the and, readers. And 6.30, yeah. I feel like we're leading into... Yes, yeah, so let's chat about oh. 6.30 so now. I've got a, let's have a comment. Let's, another let's comment. have a comment. So Charlotte has said... 6.30 is my hero. I've told so many dog lovers about him. Forget the rest of the characters. Just mentioning him to others has spurned them to get hold of the book. Oh, That's interesting because I usually hate anything from the perspective of an animal. Yeah. <laughs> and had I known that there was this kind of hyper-intelligent talking dog yeah. in, the, in the book, it maybe would have put me off picking it up. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that I didn't know because actually I loved 6.30. You know, again, I felt like it worked beautifully. Um, but it's definitely going to be the most divisive yeah. part, yeah. I think, of the book. Yeah. Um, I yeah. definitely had, I love dogs, just prefacing what I'm going to say <laughs> next with that. I'm a massive dog fan. And I, I did really like 630, but there were definitely moments where I was a bit eye-rolly, like, oh, come on. Like, I know there's that whole suspending disbelief, but you know the bit where he, like, found the photo that was, like, the missing piece that yeah. was needed and he knew exactly what they were on about, like, Madden. Uh, the reverend like oh I know where that photo is I'm going to go and get it and bring it down and it'll be the missing piece of the puzzle I was a bit like hmm yes no that wouldn't happen (laughs) but I'm just a bit grumpy I think I did generally like it I think maybe if some of it was a bit more toned down I'd have been a little bit happier with the sort of magical realism bit mm. like him knowing 500 words or whatever i was like bit yes. i thought that i felt personally it was just sort of laboring the points a bit like i thought you could have this cool clever dog but some of it just felt a bit too implausible let's say i yeah. think where i fell in love with 630 i agree with you i do actually agree with what you're saying in terms of i think it is quite divisive and i think also as a technique and i think also it's um yeah you know it was a bit ridiculous with some of the things that that I think there was one point Mad asked for something. I don't know if it was a dummy or there a toy or something. There was a yo-yo that Harriet that's right. had said. And she yeah. like, what a clever dog. He bought me a yo-yo. Yeah. <laughs> so that was how he, because he was able to, because he could understand language, obviously couldn't yeah, talk. Yeah. So he was then able to communicate that he yeah. understood to, obviously Elizabeth knew he knew, but no one else. <laughs> but I felt that because you've got these emotionally stunted characters in Elizabeth and Calvin who find it hard to express how they feel, what mm. I felt 6.30 did was bring that emotional layer like yeah. when he's lying by calvin with the blood pooling yeah. over the pavement oh God, and yeah. you know that that was what made that i mean and that is obviously the chapter that keeps me awake at night <laughs> but that it it really brought that 
deep, deep emotional level, mm. which is so bizarre to think, how can a non-speaking dog yeah. bring such emotion to all the events that happened? But I just felt time and again, he just, that's what she did with him. And I felt that's what he was there for, yeah. um, to, to bring the feeling. Yeah. And to yeah. somehow point out the flaws of the humans yes. being highlighted by a non-human. I think there's something in that, isn't there? The idea that it's saying, it's a kind of comment on us, like assuming that humans are the most intelligent species yeah, true. as well, when actually a lot of people in the book are incredibly stupid and, and also sort of book learning doesn't necessarily serve everybody that well. Yeah. And yeah, and also I guess he's a little bit of a mirror for Calvin and Elizabeth, mm. the fact that he's had this quite, you know, difficult past. He's yes. abandoned, he's astray when they find him. Yeah. And it turns out he's actually incredibly clever. And, you know, there's something quite sweet and satisfying in that mirroring as well, I think. Yeah, I think it would be a poorer book without 6.30. He does seem, especially in our comments on the community, he seems to be a popular popular draw to the book for sure. What I hope is that we're not going to end up with a load of copycat books that all have magical talking. That is true. Yeah. Leave that to Philip Pullman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but again, let's talk about the TV adaptation a little bit because that's the bit mm. I'm slightly nervous about. Like, have, how's six thirty going to work in a TV adaptation? Yeah. That's probably the most challenging yeah. for the writers, yeah. isn't it, and the director to yeah. make. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's Apple TV who I think make some of the best things out there. Yeah. They've made some of my favourite things, like Severance and all sorts of really, really good mm. things recently. So I have full faith that their team has done something interesting but I just wonder like is there going to be like a voiceover is it like yeah like, how's how's that yes, going to work are we going thoughts. severance are we going Ted Lasso yeah like, exactly question, yeah yeah maybe a voiceover would work yeah or maybe you just see things from his eyes and I don't know it's mm. gonna be fascinating to mm. see or maybe through mad as well yeah. perhaps their relationship she'll kind of almost act like a, oh true like a bit of a spokesperson yes for that's him. It, like do one side of the conversation yeah. and we can assume what it could get a bit lassie couldn't it it could yeah it could <laughs> what's that 6 30 what's that the photos I, upstairs <laughs> I, I actually picture um 6 30 looking a bit lassie like actually so yeah that could, that would could. be too attractive yeah. i think it, i think 6 30 is kind of scrawny yeah, and scruffy sure. and uh, sort of as ugly as calvin is oh, the general oh. but i liked calvin as well yeah. no dog is ugly in my eyes so. <laughs> no, well, I, I know what you mean yeah i think not quite as fluffy and groomed as lassie but mm. what did you guys think of the twist of sort of calvin's donor did you see that one coming mm. we were talking about it a few weeks ago weren't we like another not criticism but another sort of pointer that some people have sort of pointed out is that Surely Avery might have made a little bit more effort to kind of get in touch earlier rather than just sending a couple of letters. And I was thinking that. I guess we have to believe that because she had obviously been through such a traumatic Mm -hmm. experience herself, being told, well, being sent away to have this baby, being told that it had died during birth, which it hadn't. You know, I, I guess it's not too much of a leap, I think, for me to believe that she would be so nervous Mm -hmm. of reaching out to this son that she would worry that she was kind of undeserving of motherhood, Mm -hmm. I guess, in a way, undeserving of a relationship with him because of everything she had been told and society punished her so harshly Mm -hmm. for, you know, being an unwed mother. And I guess it was, again, it was satisfying that we believed Wilson potentially. I don't know about you, I thought that this mysterious man that kept turning yeah, up at yeah. school I assumed he was the biological father yes me yeah. too yeah and so it kind of feels yeah. quite fitting doesn't it that of course it's actually a woman yes. in the end it's yeah a woman who's behind you know this sort of financial backing and but he's still got to be the mouthpiece but to yes, sign off on it right not allowed yeah. to actually use the fund that her she... own fund under her own name yeah, yeah. and again yeah. it's sort of highlighted how she had been nice and a good girl and done yeah. what she was meant mm. to do and yet she still wasn't able to live her life the way she wanted to mm-hmm. yeah. um and the letters always been from sad mother as they yeah. called her and you and it was it was just the injustice of it yeah. was so heartbreaking yeah. but obviously that was really good for the plot yeah. um, but also but i guess she hard. wasn't to know that also loads of other phony people or loads of phony people were going to be no, doing similar exactly. things either and i think it's kind of hard for 
us in our time to get our heads around an era in which writing letters to yeah. people was just the normal way of getting yeah. in touch with yeah. them to tell them important pieces of information yeah. you know like I think to us it seems mad yeah, when yeah. we but, would be emailing and yeah, phoning yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah but that she did also have the financial means to send someone to his door mm. if she wanted mm. or to yeah, fly herself there it's not like she was poor and therefore no. couldn't have traveled no. to get there but obviously like you say she didn't have well i guess she just didn't have the confidence yeah, to believe yeah. that she she should go and mm. and go and yeah. visit but it did feel um frustrating to say the least when yeah. you discovered you're like oh but it could well be i know they could have met exactly meeting, you know one memory she could have held on to yeah. or something but that was nice that um at the end obviously elizabeth like here's all the things that you know she still had a bit of a moment didn't she to kind mm. of connect with calvin yeah and through her granddaughter exactly well. exactly yeah. there were some readers who i think had commented that they were frustrated that um elizabeth's research had been funded because of Avery and the foundation as opposed to because it was important in its own right yeah yeah mm. oh I hadn't thought about that yeah to be honest I don't understand what abiogenesis is you know I I <laughs> so, and I didn't take the time to look it up much no. either <laughs> um I mean that's kind of what I love about this book as well is that you feel very clever yeah for reading it I feel yeah. like I now know a lot of stuff about chemistry and rowing but I don't really I've just got the the words um yeah, that is a really good point and that hadn't occurred to me. Yeah, no, it didn't really. I just thought, oh, that's nice. She was sort of supported in the background the whole way. But, but actually, actually, that's not what she would have wanted. Does that discredit her yeah. and what she wanted? I mean, she doesn't seem to think so in the book, so no. that's, that's okay. But... No. And I guess, again, she's just working within an imperfect system, isn't mm-hmm. she? She's kind of making the best of the world that she's in. Yeah. Uh, and I guess most of the men at Hastings Research Institute, their research was probably being backed for quite spurious reasons as well. Yeah. As oh, they were frustrated. As it's research today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. There's another comment, actually, just talking about sort of women of the generation um, from Annie, who said, I read this book the minute it came out. I love cooking. I'm a feminist and I like a good book. It was moving and hard to read sometimes, but also uplifting. It's such a page turner, a really quick, easy read. It also spoke to me as a woman of that generation. Let's hear it for Elizabeth Zott. Yeah. It's really interesting to have someone who obviously, um, it really chimed with her experience. Yeah. So you can read it and think, oh, that seems a bit like she's laboring the point there. Or maybe that was a bit OTT. Maybe that wouldn't really have Mm. happened. But, you know. Annie seems to feel like it very much well, did. Well, I'm not saying this happened to Annie, of course, but as in when I was reading it, and obviously there were two horrific incidents. Yes. You know, there was two attempted rapes, which were just, well, three, no, three, because there was the initial one, yeah. wasn't there? Then the pencil Pence, one and then oh, the and then um, producer guy, yeah. guy yeah. as well. But And they obviously all happen at different stages of her life and career, and there are different ways she deals with it and navigates them. But yeah, I thought I thought it was bold to like include those and yeah. speak about them. And, and the same with, um, is it, with Frask, Ms. Frask yeah. having yeah. dropped out of her PhD yes. for exactly the same yeah. reason. Yeah. But I was thinking about other kind of, women in the public eye in that time in yeah. the 50s and 60s if you take people like Marilyn Monroe and Judy Garland at the yeah. top of their game mm-hmm. powerful yeah. women yeah. who were completely manipulated yeah. and exploited by yes. men, men at the top of their yeah, game yeah. in the studios yeah. um, and then even with husbands and all sorts of yeah. things that were going mm-hmm. on both addicted to prescription drugs mm-hmm, and, things. Mm-hmm. and that was as you sort of find out more and more as time has gone on, that was really quite typical of the time. That's what I mean. These these women who appeared to be at the in control of their careers and at the yeah. top of their game. Yeah. So it That's was... what I mean, it didn't feel like, it didn't, it was horrible to read about, but unfortunately it didn't feel sort of no, over far-fetched. the top at no, all. absolutely not. And I think that's one of the reasons I think it's quite important that it doesn't end with Elizabeth being a TV star. Yeah. You know, that's not her happy ending. Yeah, yeah. And actually that's you, such a good you point. want her back in the lab. Yeah. You want her in charge of her own research. Um, and, and kind of out of that world yeah. because if anything that world is probably more toxic yeah, yeah that's yeah. so true well it's about control isn't it She as well she finally had um, a position of authority where she yeah. was in control of what she was doing and rather than having all this you know other people like when she's struggling as a single mother at the beginning and people are coming to her oh, house yeah. and she's doing their, their research yeah. and oh, findings for them but not yeah. getting no credit yeah and, and it sort of feel that endless struggle mm. and just how horrendous it 
it was. Yeah. So yeah, I think I 100% agree to have her there off the TV doing what she loves. It's very satisfying. Very Even satisfying. if it was a kind of an annoying way she got there because she gets there yeah. obviously through the help of Avery. But it feels mm. also that she's earned it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 100%. And that triumphant scene where she does her last show. Yes, I was about to like, say that. Oh, How much would you have loved to have been in the audience? Oh my, I mean, that's just, again, that's going to look so great I know, I, that's on what, the TV adaptation, isn't When it? I think about the adaptation, that's what I'm really picturing. Mm. Like, all the women there, like, with their notepads. and Going yeah. off to become heart surgeons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. loved that. How yeah. she brought the audience in. Yeah. And all those shout-outs. I yeah. felt that that was... Um, it was just so heartwarming yeah. and encouraging. Yeah. And, yeah, like a little revolution going on in this kind of backwater tv studio which then suddenly is getting like it's being aired in california and new york and that was quite exciting it's funny because actually i think the book itself came under some fire from some corners for the same reason that elizabeth did because they thought it was anti-religion and that sort of thing america that might yeah some people well yeah even if it's in fiction people weren't very happy about it but i did think that yeah, I loved all the TV show things. I yeah. just the way everything unfolded there from her doing like the initial like now I'm going to wear my lab coat and putting the pencil behind her ear and then talking in, you know, of chemical components and the compounds instead of saying salt and the ingredients. Mm. I thought that was brilliant. But yeah, all the way through right till the end with that. And every episode triumph. ending with if children yes. go and lay the table yes. your mother needs a, a moment, moment to herself. herself. Yeah. And so as a mother, good, yeah. I just thought Oh my God, how... The dream. So <laughs> I mean, to recognise that and yeah. also how she did elevate mother mm. mothering to being an imp- one of the most important roles in society. Yeah, if yeah. you mother the next generation as well as you can yeah. under whatever circumstances yeah. you're in, it's not going to be perfect, but we all try our best, then that is the best way for society to mm. progress. Leaving those little notes in Madeline's Oh, yeah. I loved that. And, yeah. yeah. And you're not and, quite knowing why at first. And then yeah. it's sort of, yeah. Uh, no, I think Revolts. you're right. It's the, it's the fact that she, you know, she could have shunned motherhood. She could have poured scorn on women who cared about putting dinner on the table. Yeah. But actually she didn't. She recognised that it was hard work like anything else. Yeah. And that those women deserved praise for that and support and also to have their other dreams and passions kind of yeah listened to yeah. i think that's why i loved harriet as well because she was sort of soaking all of that up from knowing elizabeth and also watching her on tv but also like i loved i could picture it myself but she was beforehand just soaking up everything from all her magazines she'd buy yeah. and like right how to do this how to be the perfect wife how to do this and sort of you can yeah. just picture it's almost making it academic yeah isn't it? being yeah. a wife and mother if that's your lot and that's all you're allowed to do yeah how do you approach that in a rigorous and mm. academic way? Mm. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I think there's so many parallels as well between the feminism of this book and the Barbie movie. Yes, yeah. Which I went to see yesterday. Oh, I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. Oh, there's a lot, like, there's a lot about motherhood, actually, yeah. which I wasn't expecting. And I went to a mother and baby screening, oh, parent and baby screening. Yeah. Um, and so there was just this whole cinema full of parents with little babies on our laps kind of going, oh, God, I, I bet, didn't think this yeah. was going to get me like this. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I think... It's it's interesting the com- like the conversations we're having around feminism now I think are very much about that idea of okay what do we reject and what do we embrace and how do we find a feminism that fits within a mold that sometimes does look more conventional from yeah. the outside and yet as women for some reason we you know we do want to go back to it maybe we do want to wear high heels and pink and yeah yeah i mean we do want to have a family and cook dinner for them yeah. every night and how do we make that compatible with our feminism yeah that feels very current it does yeah. i agree no that's fascinating i think yeah it's you can still be a feminist and do all those things like it's a statement in itself to yeah. not be rejecting that if that's something you want to do and that's something it. you love and how do we you know it's still uh, like it's still tricky, I think, yeah. isn't it? To yeah. sort of yeah. work out where the boundaries lie and how, to what extent are we doing things because we want to and to what extent are we doing them because the patriarchy tells us yep. we should. And I still don't think we have that many more answers than we no. maybe did 60 years ago. That's yeah. a very good point. And I think just touching on um, that idea of equality in society, I think that's where when we had chatted earlier, we sort of felt like the rowing yeah. was... Because um, mm. why was rowing so important in the book? And now as I was reading it, I was thinking... Okay, so it kind of gives you an insight into Calvin's character and his drive and and all those other elements of um, that he'd gone to Cambridge and, you know, why he ended up where he did in this kind of backwater town. Yeah, yeah. Because of the letter from Wakely talking about good place for rowing. (laughs) But 
that rowing really when you're in that boat everyone in that boat is equal yeah. everyone's role mm. in making that a successful yeah. row if that's Teamwork. the right term yeah. is is just as important whichever number seat they're in yes and I think that was obviously the point of the rowing yeah in the book yeah and I feel like it was really subtly and cleverly done and then yeah. this idea at the end of all these women turning yes. up to rowing clubs around <laughs> yes. America you know because they'd heard it was a good thing to do and they wanted to get, earn their place in the boat yes in society and oh, be no. equal nice. to everyone else yeah yeah Great. I liked all the rowing scenes, yeah. like yeah. the sort of early morning stuff. The the rest of the men being like, hmm, "What are you doing here?" and her proving and her calluses on her hand yeah. and yeah. how she had the 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 erg machine in the oh, house. Yeah. The, yeah, that's a word that takes up space in my head rent free now. Yeah, I, I know. Again, I was like, "I write okay, one right of those." Yeah, okay, sure. okay. Yeah. <laughs> we spoke earlier that we all enjoyed the ending. Thought it sort of wrapped things up in a satisfying mm. way. Also, I'm so nosy, so I like to know what happens to people but the door was still sort of ajar for interpretation mm. you could sort of guess what might happen to everyone at the end but no, I thought it was a satisfying ending but no how do you think it's going to work with the adaptation because I think there's eight episodes or something and in my head I'm already trying to like work out how they're going to sort it out into sort of eight chunks like are they going to do what the book does yeah. and sort of flash forward and backwards quite a bit or is each episode going to be from somebody else's perspective like I'm so fascinated yeah I have no idea I think that kind of forward and backwards chronology in a way might lend itself really well yeah. to an adaptation I think it'll make each episode really rich and interesting hmm. but I don't envy the screenwriter that's had the job of tackling that because it is going to be a tough one to figure out um but I think they'll have to because I think that's part of the beauty of the book, right? Is the the skipping back and forward in yeah. time, the fact yeah. that she does so often, uh, you know, spoiler what's going to happen um, for us. But then, you know, obviously we are just tense, kind of leading up to it, wondering how. So I think it would be a real shame if they suddenly flipped it all and put it in a kind of chronological order. I don't think that would work. Um, but I yeah, feel I like with see. yeah, with the book because it's so powerful, her being on the TV cooking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel like it has to start somehow with her doing that surely yeah and then yeah. you need to know how she got there and yeah. I think um just like you were saying Lauren it's about those kind of reveals in the book along yeah, the way yeah. that are just so brilliantly done and I would love to know actually how involved she is in the adaptation if yeah she's yeah because often writers do do screenplays as well yeah. Um, other times it's completely out of their hands isn't it and then yeah, they're probably like oh yeah. please don't muck it up <laughs> I think that must be one of the hardest things as an author it's not an experience I've had yet <laughs> myself it will happen what it will happen yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah I think relinquishing control yeah. and allowing somebody to kind of realize these characters that have lived in your brain for so many years um I think there must always be an element where you have to just kind of sit on your hands a little bit. Yeah. Say, okay. Over to you. Let exactly. the prose yeah. work it's a their different magic. Beast, you know, yeah. it just exist as its own thing. Yeah. But actually, like um, having loved Daisy Jones and the Six, mm. which jumps around, and then seeing the True. way they did that adaptation where people were talking to camera, which yeah. I know is how it's done mm -hmm. in the book, but I feel again, it is the story was told through the way the book was yeah. done and I think that you can you can do it and there's very clever people at Apple I'm sure yeah. they'll get it right I can't wait I'm excited I saw a trailer did you yeah. see the trailer yeah it doesn't because, give much away no but, but it, it yeah. shows you the even just the sets yeah. and the kind of yeah. atmosphere of yeah. the book and the feeling yes. yeah. yeah I have high I hopes think, um, for it and another adaptation that was brilliant recently was Fleischman is in Trouble oh yes yeah I yeah. think that did a fantastic yeah. job of really capturing the kind of the attitude of the book and yes. the feelings of the book and putting them on screen and so yeah hopefully that will get a similar treatment I think so final note on lessons in chemistry did you know that Bonnie has her own dog and the dog's called 99 oh which I loved is I that because it was the time or no, I have no <laughs> idea but I just love <laughs> that, that she clearly I don't know if she got the dog before or after mm. obviously likes yeah. numerical names for dogs mm. so if, if anyone gets a dog can't think what to call them Go with number. the number. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about pre-loved now, please? <laughs> so, um, yeah, tell us about it. It came out in April. It did, yes. Yes. So, so, yeah, what... I've read it. But, yeah, what's the plot? Like, what? what's the story behind it? 
Um, so Preloved is a kind of bittersweet comic novel about a woman called Gwen who is 38. She feels like her life has kind of stalled. Um, she has just been made redundant from a job that she didn't particularly love anyway. Um, her friends have kind of drifted away and become estranged in that way that people tend to in their 30s where everybody is migrating off to the suburbs mm-hmm. to buy bigger houses and have babies and everybody loses touch a little bit through no real fault, but it can be quite heartbreaking. And um, her family relationship is a little bit strained. She hasn't really got over a relationship that broke up quite a few years ago. She's just a bit stuck. Mm-hmm. And um, we meet her dining alone on her birthday um, at a surprisingly good gastro pub just outside Lutterworth. And um, she decides to kind of try and jumpstart her life a little bit. This involves taking a big bin bag full of a lot of her ex's possessions that she's been hanging on to for six years, for no real reason, to her local charity shop. And while she's there, she sees a sign that says volunteers wanted. And she thinks it would be nice to be wanted. Um, <laughs> and therefore she starts volunteering. And so her story is kind of intercut with lots of these little vignettes that are like short stories that tell the story of items in the charity shop. I, so, I love those. Who They're came so to good. donate them yeah. and like who goes on to buy them. Um, oh. Thank you. So I had, yeah, a lot of fun writing those little stories. And I was thinking it must through. be so fun because they're all just like, in, some of them are just one or two pages long, just mm. like a small sort of insight into someone's psyche and what they're going on the hendy t-shirts one absolutely <laughs> made me cackle uh, my boyfriend's a big sort of grammar pedant so i made him read it as well and i could see him sort of beaming reading it seeing where it was gonna go but oh, yeah they must have been fun yeah i had a lot of fun writing those i think they're a nice way in actually because writing a full-length novel is quite daunting yeah particularly when you're a journalist and you're used to turning out like eight hundred thousand words <laughs> and then moving on to the next thing and so i found it was quite a good way in for me to sit down and just write these little vignettes these little kind of snapshots of people's lives um and again I think because I'm nosy and you know I'm a sort of lifelong charity shopper I love secondhand stuff and I love speculating about the lives that objects might have lived before I've sort of come to find them um and yeah I just I thought that was a really interesting way to structure a book hopefully it works yeah well so far so good as far as I'm concerned but no because obviously your second book was how to break up with fast fashion so did Mm. it kind of make sense to kind of take that down a novel route slightly yeah I guess so I mean one thing I kind of don't want people to think is that pre-loved is like sustainable fashion no 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 no. it's it's (laughs) not really isn't I don't think that you know there's a bit of sustainability messaging in it but not really it's not bashing me over the head okay good good And I think it's about a lot of other things. You know, a charity shop felt like a really natural setting for a book because it is, without being too cliched about it, it is a place that you meet people from all walks of life. You know, everyone has their own motivation for being there, their own reasons for volunteering. Um, But ultimately, it was more about the idea of friendships in your 30s and the way that we have to sort of keep rebuilding our lives and fashioning new lives and new families for ourselves kind of in every decade of our life actually we can't just take things for granted and assume that the same people always be around yeah and I think that's ultimately the message of the book um but yeah I hope that different people will take different things from it definitely I really like that bit actually when you're talking about you know, in your early 20s, especially if you just moved to London, you don't really have a social life. It, it's just there. Like, you just kind of go with it the flow. And you're like, you. yeah, you're yeah. pulled into this or that. And you just never say no anyway. And you've got, like, what you think of as, like, this huge group of friends. But actually, mm. yeah, as you maybe get a bit older, it, people sort of fall off and you realise you're just sort of bumping into people. Maybe they weren't yeah. friend friends as much as you might have thought. But then that's often down to you as well for not nurturing those friendships and keeping them alive. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Gwen has this thing that I call the void in the book, which is when you have to message your friend back and for some reason you just can't make yourself do it, even though you love that friend and you want to see that friend and you feel bad. And of course, the longer it goes on that you haven't sent that message, the worse you feel. But for some reason, it slips into this void in your brain and you just think, oh, I'll do it later, I'll do it tomorrow. And then before you know it, two weeks have gone by and you feel like the worst friend in the world. And I think that we're all experiencing that. Yeah. And it is a certain amount of like digital overload. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of burnout. It's the fact that actually so many of our relationships in life now are conducted through our phones Mm -hmm. rather than face-to-face contact. And, you know, in a way, thank God for WhatsApp because... I wouldn't be in touch with half of my best friends if it wasn't for WhatsApp. But at the same time, it it cannot replace actually having proper quality time 
in real life with people um and so yeah i kind of wanted to explore that as well and how it how do we find our way back to our friends if at the same time we're too exhausted to just pick up our phone again (laughs) (laughs) no i love it well if you haven't read it please do it's available everywhere amazon bookshops all over the place and yeah i've basically got like another 50 pages to go so far so good very much enjoying it so satisfying oh i'm sure it will be no definitely would recommend Great, thank you both so much, and especially you, Lauren, for coming on. We really, well, I loved hearing everything you had to say about the book and hearing about Pre-Loved as well. Georgina, thank you as well. Uh, just before we go, we do have one exciting announcement, which is the next Sherlock Book Club book. So um, next time it's going to be The List by Yomi Adagoke. We'll be joined by Yomi herself on the next book club. So yeah, please do join the community if you haven't already. Go on the book club thread on the Sherlock's community and yeah get get reading get buying and tell us what you think and yeah in about six weeks time we'll be chatting with Yomi herself about everything so feel free to ask us any questions you'd like us to ask her and we'll be doing this all over again with her and her book The List which only came out this week but everyone is just talking about it I'm left right and it. center At yeah the moment, <laughs> I'm so hooked. It's yeah brilliant. it's uh, so far again I've just started it but yeah very much enjoying it so yeah we've got that to look forward to in September so yeah thanks again for watching and listening if you liked it please do rate review subscribe and tell your friends and we'll see you next time goodbye <laughs>